1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: And so they don't want to believe, and you present the gospel to them, and you share with them, and and they won't listen. They hear, but they don't heed. And what it comes down to is autonomy, self-interest, pride, and a loss of an eternity with God. And Jesus says, but I say these things so that you may be saved. And you say these things to them that they may be saved. And Christ said these things to them that they may be saved. And yet they just won't listen because they don't want to. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life
1: Grace to Live, with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today, studying God's Word. We would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Father, we thank you for the chance to worship you today, Lord, through song, through prayer, through the preaching and teaching of your word, Lord, through the listening and application. Father, we thank you for the spirit which inspired the word that we have that we hold in our hands today, Lord. Help us to be good students of that word. Help us to learn from you, Lord. Help us to serve you. Lord, grant me clarity today as I teach your word, and grant the folks understanding, and let nothing that I say or do get in the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to turn your Bibles to John chapter 5? We're going to be looking at verses 30 and 47 today. And as I was studying this passage, I read a statement that really just struck me to the core. And that statement was this, probably the single most tragic theme in Scripture is that of God's unrequited love for wayward humanity. That God reaches out to mankind and mankind pushes him away. That's unrequited love, love that is not returned. In our text today, and in in some some sense, the whole Bible bears witness to that, of God's love for us and our pushing that love away. But his amazing grace, his transforming love is able to change hard hearts. To soft hearts and bring sons and daughters to glory. But in today's passage, what we see is Jesus in love so that men and women might be saved. He puts unbelief on trial. If you remember last time we were together, Jesus healed the paralytic who'd been paralyzed for 38 years on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leadership, rather than rejoice at an incredible miracle, you think about this. We, We read about a miracle, and sometimes we just kind of gloss over it. Oh, yeah, it's a miracle. But he said, take up your palate and walk. And this man who had been paralyzed, immobile for 38 years, think of the atrophy, think of the calcium deposits in the joints, think of the loss of bone mass, think of the loss of muscle memory, think of the weakening of the ligaments and the tendons, think of the weakening of the will. And he says, arise, take up your pallet and walk. And bang, guy gets up, picks up his pallet, picks up his bed, throws it over his shoulder. Immediately, he's walking and somebody says, what are you doing? You're carrying your bed on the Sabbath. That's not lawful. Now, the text tells us that for 38 years, this man had been on the temple grounds and people day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, had passed by this guy. So he had to be known to everybody. You know he was known to Jesus. And Jesus healed them, and nobody responds. Instead, they have a tradition that they've added to the scriptures. They've added to the law of Moses, always a dangerous thing, and they're all bent out of shape. And so they confront Jesus, and we don't know what they were saying to him exactly, but as I used the metaphor or the word picture last week, it's like walking up to somebody talking on their cell phone. We can hear Jesus talking to them. And in the course of that discussion with them, Jesus tells them, I'm just like God, I have the same abilities that my Father has. I'm the giver of life. I deserve worship like the Father does. And if you don't worship me, you don't show worship and honor and respect to the Father. And I am the Savior. And what we realize is, of course, is that if you claim to be like God, if you claim the power of God, if you claim eternality with God, if you claim to be the giver of life, the one who spoke reality into existence, if you expect the same worship as God and you are the only Savior, then you must be God. And so, what we're doing today is walking up again on this conversation in the aftermath of Jesus revealing himself as God to these people. And I think I shared with you last time, as a a new believer, I wanted a place where Jesus would say, I'm God, so I could just wrap my mind around it. That's why I love John's gospel, because over and over again he does. As I talked to you about last week, he's doing something called inductive reasoning where you just say A, B, C, D equals, you know, you lead people on a journey to a conclusion. And that's what he's done here. And we can tell as we move through the text into today's message that their response was probably less than favorable. Even what we read last week said they were very angry with him and they were striving more than ever to kill him because he made himself out to be equal to God. And what we see here is this, is that God has come to them And made himself known to them in an unmistakable way. God reaches out to men and men reject him. God reveals himself and men ignore him. God speaks and men hear but don't heed. And even God sends messengers and men don't receive. And finally he sends his son and they revile him. And the passage we're going to read today is tragic. It's sad because he's made it so abundantly clear to these people who knew the scriptures and all they do is refused to believe and so what he does today is he puts their unbelief on trial they've come to him as his accuser and what he does is he turns the table he is now the plaintiff he is now the prosecutor and he says to them how much evidence is enough what, what do you need to know you should know this by now who I am should be no surprise to you and then he calls four witnesses in his defense and what he shows us is is that unbelief isn't something passive, isn't something that people have out of ignorance. What he does is he shows us that unbelief is willful. Their unbelief is willful. It's a willful disregard. And he's confronting them for their own sakes and for the sakes of the people that they shepherd because they are the religious leaders of the Jewish people. And what we see here is that unbelief in their case, and really in the case today, is nothing short of criminal negligence. It's a heedlessness. They hear the facts, but they do not heed the facts. And it's serious because the stakes are high. The stakes are eternal. And so, as these men come to him, and as they spit and sputter about him healing on the Sabbath, and as they gnash their teeth and clench their fists about his claims to Godhood, Jesus, in today's passage, as you watch it play out, is going to say to them, you should have known this by now. Who did you think I am? What did you think is going on here? And he, and he really shows them that their unbelief is warranted because they don't lack sufficient evidence. They don't lack sufficient prophecy. They don't lack sufficient knowledge. They lack a will and a desire to believe, to trust, to become a child of God. And you watch this play out in this passage. Jesus is convicting them. He is bringing evidence against them, witnesses to testify against them. And what for? So he can get a quick conviction? So that he can put them in their place and show them how wrong they are? No, he's doing it for their sakes and they could care less. And in the midst of this confrontation, one of the things that really leapt out at me was a verse i 'll just read for you uh, and it 's not in the in the overheads or in the, in your notes right now, but it 's john five thirty four I say these things so that you may be saved. Jesus wants these people to be saved. he cares about them he he loves them, he reaches out to them, and they choose to look the other way and so as we read this text today, I want you to Read along with me and think along with me and see if you can see the witnesses that he's going to call because he turns the tables on them and calls four witnesses to testify against them, to bring them under conviction so that they might be saved. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And do not seek the glory that only comes from God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. This is one who, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But you do not believe his writings. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is a powerful, powerful passage here. Because he's really just laying it out for them. He, he is no longer defending himself. He is calling upon them to defend their unbelief. And he calls four witnesses on his own behalf. And he begins by saying, look, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. He's not saying that he's not speaking the truth. He's saying that under the law of Moses, you have to have at least more than one witness in a trial. And so he's going to call four witnesses, four witnesses who will provide overwhelming evidence that he is the messiah the son of god god the son the promised one whom the father has sent and the first witness that he calls is john the baptist we see that in verses 32 to 35 there is another who bears witness about me and i know that the testimony that he bears about me is true you sent to john remember they sent representatives out when John was preaching to find out who John was and what John taught and what John believed. You sent to John and he bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. John the Baptist was Jesus' first witness and they liked John until John told them things they didn't like and then they tried to blow John off. And Jesus says that you sent to John And you were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. John the Baptist informed the Jewish leadership's representatives that John was not the Messiah. He says, I am not the Christ. And then he told them that the Christ was coming. Where do we see that? John chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. So they said to him, the Jewish leadership's representatives, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Remember, you sent to John. What do you say about yourself? He said... I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. Not only that, John the Baptist singled him out. He pointed him out physically after the baptism. Where do we see that? John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. The next day, he saw, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In verse 31, he says, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So he's saying to them, look, I'm just not some crazy guy who walked up and did all this. You've known, you've heard, you've seen, this is not new to you. It's as if he's saying to them, how short of a memory do you have? And you look at this and think about how heartbreaking the denial is because... We're on the heel. He just healed a guy who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. They're standing with un- incontrovertible evidence that this is not an ordinary man. This is the same one that John pointed out. This is the same one that cleared the temple. This is the same one who's done all these things. And they just won't listen. They don't want to believe. Reminds me of what it says earlier in John's Gospel. He came into the world, and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and they did not receive him. But to them who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He has come to his own, the people who should have known better. And they're just like putting their hands in front of their eyes, and their fingers in their ears, and they're covering their mouths. These leaders would not believe. And they had indication that he was God's son. Savior of the world, and therefore equal to God. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. They were willing to believe John as long as it suited them. Now it does not suit them, and they want to forget what John said. And they're face-to-face with their God. They're face-to-face with their Messiah. They're face-to-face with the Promised One, the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior of the world. And the amazing thing is, even the Samaritans got it. John chapter 2, right? Ah, John chapter 4. But these men, who should have known better, didn't. But the reality is, the evidence against them is just too great. Remember John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the interview with Nicodemus. What does it say there? Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to them, Now, who is he? He's a man of the Pharisees. He's a member of the Jewish leadership. What does he say? Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. Think about that. No one can do these signs. We know that you are a teacher sent from God. We know. We know. We have learned. We have observed. We have come to the conclusion That you are a teacher sent from God because nobody can do what you do. And then, of course, there's the guy who was the paralytic, paralyzed for 38 years. Completely restored. Not only able to walk, but to carry his bed on the Sabbath. But they did not want to believe. Theirs is a willful unbelief. And unbelief is willful. It's often, almost always, arbitrary. And it really reveals the heart. Because no amount of evidence will do. And in their case, their stubbornness grows and grows and grows. And they are willing to ignore the obvious. You know, the amazing thing is, as you follow this out through the Gospel of John, the more evidence that he presents them, the more blindness that they pursue. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man blind from birth. And in verses 15 to 33, and I'll excerpt it for you, the Pharisees are confronted with the fact that he healed this blind man. And they ask the blind man, well, how did you get your sight? And he says, well, you know, Jesus healed me. And, there's, and then they're saying, well, this can't be him. He, he can't have been the man blind from birth. Get his parents. And his parents say, no, no, he's our son. We don't know how he was healed. He's of age. You talk to him. So in verse 15, so the Pharisees again ask him how he received his sight. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But in verse 31, you see the blind man's response. And it is so telling. The blind man saw it all. And he says this to them. We know that God does not listen to sinners. If anyone is not a worshiper of God and does not do his will, and does his will, if anyone is a worshiper of God, excuse me, and does his will, God listens to him. Verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. But you see, their unbelief is selective their unbelief is willful because the devil that they know in their minds is better than the God they don't know and that's what we face in our culture today people don't want to know Christ because that takes away their autonomy and they're not sure how they're gonna like that and they don't think they're gonna like it too much and so they don't want to believe and you present the gospel to them and you share with them and and they won't listen they hear but they don't heed and what it comes down to is autonomy self-interest Pride and a loss of an eternity with God. And Jesus says, but I say these things so that you may be saved. And you say these things to them that they may be saved. And Christ said these things to them that they may be saved. And yet they just won't listen because they don't want to. And so Jesus is just calling witness after witness. We always have to remember that unbelief is purposeful. You know, We listen to a term like unbelief and this person doesn't believe or this person is state of being an unbeliever. And it sounds like something passive or something that's done out of ignorance. But the reality is, is it's purposeful. And you can see it and feel it here in this passage. They don't want to submit to him. They don't want to be responsible to him. They want what they want. And you can heal 38 men who've been disabled for 38 years and they're not going to acknowledge it. It's like the guy standing on a hill and going, Hill? What hill? I don't see a hill. Jesus has done something that no one can do and they just won't listen. Which brings us to the third witness that he calls against them and that is his father's voice in all its various forms. This is somewhat of a complicated uh, couple of verses here. And the father who sent me has borne witness, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. They don't take God's word seriously. The prophet Isaiah is who John is quoting. He's like, John's like, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one Isaiah told you about. Make straight the way of the Lord, is the prophet Isaiah. There are all kinds of prophecies in the scriptures that they would know that 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 the Messiah would come into the temple and claim it as his own. Jesus cleansed the temple and said, my father's house. But I want to call your attention to the fact that it says, his voice you have never heard. And in that day when you say I didn't hear that or I don't hear that it means I don't I'm not listening I'm not obeying. I'm not going to pay attention They heard his voice they had their representatives there at the baptism, but they didn't heed the voice many no doubt know heard the voice but didn't listen in Luke 3 21 to 22 we read this and when Jesus who had been baptized and was praying the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The people heard that. And we know that there are representatives of the Pharisees there and they heard it. And the Sadducees had representatives there and they heard it. Later on, his, they'll hear his voice again. John chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. Watch this. Jesus is praying and and talking to his father. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. You see, there's always a reason. There's always an explanation. Well, yeah, it sounded like God speaking to him, but it was probably just thunder. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did this, but what other signs will he give us? You have a voice from God. You have God's voice through John the Baptist. This is the Son of God. You have God's voice through the Scriptures. Make way, prepare yourself the way of the Lord. You have all the prophecies. You have have it all. And they just won't listen. And then you have the voice of God at His baptism. And they hear these things, but they don't heed. You know, lest we are too hard on them. We have to think of our own selves too, don't we? How often do we read the text, see the Word, Hear the word so to speak and yet we we don't heed either you know atheists do the former they deny his existence they refuse to return his love Christians do the latter they received his love for salvation but now they push it away when his love tries to show them how their life needs to change that's hearing and heeding but here he has them on trial and he says to them look John the Baptist testified of me. The miracles that I've done. I mean, remember this. By now, he's turned the water into wine. Word has gotten out. By now, he's healed the royal official's son. You know, that had to cause a stir. You, the guy was a big man on campus, right? Royal official heals his son long distance. The man believes, shares the gospel with his, with his wife and children. They come to Christ. The whole household comes to Christ. The whole household comes to faith.
1: 4782 And you can connect with us on our website which is org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially Again, all of these things are available to you on our website org.
0: Trying. and